All right, Mickey Willis, what's the next psyop, man? <laughs> <laughs> we're just jumping right in. Huh? Yeah, we, we were. We, you guys, we were floating in the in the magnesium pond here, out at a ranch uh, in Texas. I don't even know where we are. Somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Texas, and um, we're talking about. You can't even keep up with the psyops anymore. You know, it used to be they'd be parsed out. You'd get one every couple of years, and everyone would freak out and it destabilized things. And I feel like now, probably because I'm on Telegram too much. I'm just like, we're not even done with the 48-hour-ago PSYOP. What are they pulling next? It's like the distraction and confusion media machine is just in overdrive. It's like I can't even keep up with the current thing. I, all by design. All by design. As, as things start to collapse for those that are at the helm of these agendas, these kind of anti-human and divisive agendas that are really doing damage to our, our people, our nation, and people all over the world. I think they underestimated us. And what COVID actually triggered beyond the horrendous trauma that it's caused so many people and the death and destruction and financial burden that people are suffering through right now, I think one of the many unintended consequences is that it has birthed a generation of citizen journalists. So when they thought that they would lock the people in their homes and feed them only their three mainstream media narratives, they didn't account for the fact that we all have these little computers in our pockets with encrypted apps that we can now share information with each other. And it was amazing to watch people who have been programmed for their whole lives not to talk about politics, to stay out of it, I'm not interested, suddenly become very aware, very interested. And um, as I've been saying, I, I travel every week into a new state within the United States, and I speak to a new audience every weekend. And it used to be that I could go take my latest research and drop it on the audience, and their jaws would drop, and they would look at each other like, I can't believe this is real, and I can't do that anymore. And that's actually a really good thing. Because <laughs> now I say something that I think is going to surprise people and they all go, mm -hmm. yeah, oh, we knew that. Yeah, we saw that on Telegram. We saw that on Signal. And, and they usually shout out things that I don't even know. And so the people are becoming very informed. And because of that, as you mentioned, psyops, which means psychological operation, are having to become much more frequent because it's like the distractions are more and more necessary because people are getting harder and harder to distract right now. Evident in... Look at what happened the moment Lahaina, the moment Maui had a fire. The narrative that they thought would take hold, climate change, this is, this is the cause. I don't know anyone that said that. Immediately, they, people went right to, this is fishy, something's wrong. And that's a problem for the people that want to push these false narratives. And so they must do everything in their powers to keep us distracted by new crises. I often think about what this will all look like in 200 years when it's part of history, right? And I think that the internet was what the powers that be didn't account for, the power of the internet. And that's because that's maybe subjectively, that's the thing that woke me up. And that was around 9-11. I'll never forget. I was at my friend Phil's house and it was, I don't know, maybe couple months after 9-11 had happened. And he said, hey, man, did you 
you know, isn't that crazy? The 9-11 thing? Did you see how that plane hit the Pentagon? I was like, yeah, this shit is wild. And he goes, yeah, but did you see the plane hit the Pentagon? I was like, yeah. I mean, it's on the news. Everyone saw it. Duh. He goes, watch this video. Show me like a little eight minute video. It was like before Loose Change and those other yeah. long form documentaries came out. And it just plainly showed me that there was less than zero evidence that a commercial aircraft had hit that building. Yeah. And there was just, there was no denying it. There was no spin. It was not a conspiracy theory. It's just like, look at the hole in the building and notice the fact that there are no remnants of a plane anywhere <laughs> to be seen. And all the surveillance footage is magically gone and, and on and on, right? And that led me down a rabbit hole of, you know, getting into David Icke and Alex Jones videos on VHS and the old school conspiracy theory shit. William Cooper, Edward Griffin, G. Edward Griffin, all those guys. And I thought, you know, at the time, what would have happened if there were no internet, right? If there was now what you call like independent media, all I would have been left with was what my TV was telling me. Mm-hmm. of current events, right? Or the news, what was it? The newspaper, the TV, it was all so tightly controlled. Mm-hmm. And then it seems like there are still masses of people that have faith in their newspaper and their television. But there are more people than ever that don't even go there for their first source of information, you know, on an event. I think like their Achilles heel ultimately, and we'll talk about who they are, you know, everyone has a different opinion on that, but their Achilles heel, I think is really the internet fundamentally. Like that's when the emperor's clothes fell off. You know, it's just like, there's no putting that genie back in the bottle, even with censorship, because if you're trying to censor something, then it's like, well, why don't they want me to see that? Why are certain topics just scrubbed from YouTube? If, If they're just a baseless, crazy conspiracy theory, why can't we just watch them for entertainment and just laugh at the people producing them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? right. Why are they a threat? If something's a threat, that must mean there's some threat of truth in it. So that's my theory. So we'll look back and go, okay, we were going along and everyone was kind of asleep and these totalitarian regimes through all their different permutations were dominating and exploiting humanity. And then this thing called the internet happened and poof. So I try to think positive that we're we're kind of just in the beginning waking stages of that. <laughs> you're, you're you're actually right on the money. We spotlight in my latest film, The Great Awakening. We spotlight the regime of Mao Zedong and what he did to the people of China and how he really established the Chinese Communist Party and managed to corral one point, I think it's four billion people into a hypnotic state of obedience. And Chinese people are really smart and they're very disciplined. How did he do that? Well, they only had a couple of state-sponsored media channels at the time. And when people are locked into their own open-air prison with only, they had Mao's little red book that everyone had to read multiple times a day to condition them and brainwash them, then they had their state-sponsored media channels. You're, you're dead right. In this particular, we are in a cultural revolution, which is what Mao Zedong called the conversion of China to a communist state. And that's what they're attempting to do to the United States right now. And we can talk about why. It's very important. The United States is a firewall for the, the grand agenda. Uh, we can get into, into that later. Do you but, think that's because we're so heavily armed as a populace? We're so heavily armed, but it's also the foundation, our constitutional foundation. And so that experiment with, with that no nation had had it as its foundation before, which protects the individual, is what has made. United States, the number one destination for immigration from all over the world. 
if it is so racist, so oppressive, so horrible, and we have done horrible things, our government, I should say, has done horrible things throughout the decades. But if it is so bad, why is everyone escaping their nations to come to this nation? It, it doesn't add up unless you understand what is it they're escaping to? Just a better economy? Our economy sucks right now, where the, the dollar's collapsing. And so what are people really coming to? They're, they're coming to escape the totalitarianism, what they've experienced in their own nations that we have here that is supposed to protect the individual. And what they have gradually done through what I call weaponized compassion is they've convinced a great deal of our population that you must give up yourself. You must give up your wants and your needs for the greater good of the people. And that's what generosity looks like. That's what compassion looks like. But what that actually does is have somebody lose their own self-interest. And there's a reason when you're on an airplane, they say when the mask drops, put it on yourself first, because you can't help anyone else unless you have oxygen. And so we have all these people around here gasping for air because they're not taken care of. And they're trying to help the collective because they're, 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 they're preying on human compassion and people are compassionate. It doesn't always look that way because we only see the negative negativity of when humans mess up out there and when they're mean and when they're destructive and when they're murderous, but there's so much good in the spirit of humanity. But when we give that away to the hive mentality and we now give, give away our own sovereign critical thinking ability, because we think we're, we're, we're serving the whole, we surrender now. Now we have to, we're bonded by agreement. And that's where the trouble begins, because now we have a collective agreement, and that's what bonds us. And if we think outside of that agreement, we lose this intrinsic primal connection that we need. And it has to be every constituent point of every, the agreement. Right? You can be like, hey, transgenderism, that's fine. I don't know that they should be competing in MMA against, that, that might be a little dangerous for biological women. You're now a transphobe, right? Yeah. So you have to agree with everything because you're bonded by agreement. And we should just be bonded simply by humanity, by the fact that we are of the same makeup and we should be celebrating our differences. And when we disagree, that's where we evolve and grow, but they don't want us to evolve and grow. This is why our, there's you know, fluoride in our water and our school systems have, have dumbed down our children and they don't know. You know, I've just saw somebody doing interviews at Times Square asking Gen Z, <laughs> I've seen have you seen videos. these things, man? And it's like, how many moons does the earth have? Uh, seven. How many dimes in a dollar? Twenty-five. You know, it's like it's, what is happening to these wild. kids? But it's that's wild. all by design, and and it's also the foundation of communism. People don't understand Karl Marx, who is pretty much the his his ideology is the, the the foundation of most communist regimes. It just is. They all praised Marxism's ideologies, and Karl Marx said that communism can be summed up in a single sentence, which is the abolition of private property. Why would that sum up communism? To take property away from people for this reason. When you don't own your property, you're less invested in taking care of it. So that's how, that's how a slum becomes a slum. You don't have to worry about your local politics, your tax codes, any of that, because you just have to make enough money to pay your landlord and keep, keep the roof over your head. When you own a home, as you've, recently completed the building of your first home, you, you start to become aware of like, I need to take care of my homes, get off my lawn and let's, let's, you know, let's do this right. And let's understand what's going on in my County and my city, because it affects me as a property owner. 
And so we literally don't learn the basics of civics, human rights, constitutional rights, when we don't own anything. So that's why the World Economic Forum says you'll own nothing. That's the goal, because they want people to be in a place of just, okay, somebody else owns it all. I just have to be a good citizen to be able to maintain my life within this realm that somebody else owns. And I do that by just being obedient. And that's ultimately what the, the end game goal is. Oh man, there's so many directions I want to go. <laughs> I want to go here. Okay, let's go back to your most recent film. Yeah. So you had Plandemic 1, Plandemic 2, and then the most recent Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening. Saw the first two, loved them, went to the premiere of 3 in Austin. And I, you know, I think I had high expectations because the first two were really well done. This fucking film blew me away. And we were talking about in the water, so forgive me for repeating something I already told you, but for the benefit of the audience that hasn't seen it, first, go see it right now. What's the link? Plandemicseries.com. Okay. Plandemicseries.com. We'll put everything we talk about, by the way, in the show notes at lukestory.com slash, well, let's just call it slash pandemic. I don't, pandemic. I don't think I've used that uh, that one yet. Lukestory.com slash pandemic. But what was so cool about the film, aside just amazing production value, especially for films in this genre, which often lack the budget to have production Not value. Very high standard. They're hard to watch unless you're really <laughs> invested in learning what I they agree. have to say. This was just a gorgeous movie. Just the graphics, the music, just the visuals, everything about it was incredible. Thank but you. what was so key about it for me was you have all of these societal symptoms and all these bad guys mm-hmm. in the shadows. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it comes up in different ways, having to do with, you know, the medical system, the mm-hmm. education system, some of the things you talked about, just the degradation of our sovereignty and all of that. And I think many of us that are interested in truth and freedom get so distracted running around playing whack-a-mole, trying to figure out what fire to put out and who lit the fire, right? And I think if I, if I got the overall theme of the film, and there was so much historical reference too, which really helped put the pieces together, but it really is fundamentally this idea of collectivism mm-hmm. and that collectivism manifests in, in sort of different costumes, right? You call it Marxism or communism or whatever, but ultimately it's the idea that you just described, right? It's like the individual doesn't matter. It's for the greater good. And you look mm-hmm. at anything throughout history, any evil that's transpired, it was always with the motto of for the greater good. That's right. Right. I mean, the most atrocious diabolical, genocidal regimes have always used that because it preys on humanity's compassion. That's right. You know, the weaponization of compassion, as you said. So I just want to give you props for the film. I mean, Thank it's you. just, I don't want to say the F word again. I'm trying not to swear because people, they email me and they're like, my kids are in the car listening to this. Can you <laughs> swear less? I'm like, I want to be authentic, but I also want the kids to hear this stuff. So yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't even know if I have a question. It's just, how did you arrive at creating such um, an elegant umbrella mm. under which to put the model? Like, this is what's happening, and, and the players that are doing it are almost inconsequential yeah. it, because they change faces, right? We were talking about George Soros, and, mm-hmm. you know, 
please forgive me, God. But sometimes I think, God, why didn't, why didn't Kissinger and Soros and these old demons just die? <laughs> yeah. And the good people can take over. And now Soros's son is like reportedly even worse and yeah. carries the same ideology and the same bankroll to yeah. perpetuate the same evil. Right. And um, so it's, it's not the players, because you can take the players out of the game. The game is still there. The game board is there. And the game board is, I guess, collectivism. So maybe you could just wax on that you know, overarching theme of the film and the way you see things now. Yeah, well, first, thank you for your, your kind words. And then everything you said after the compliments, I, I agree with you 100%. I was on stage uh, a couple of months ago and someone said, they yelled out, I think we just need to take out Klaus Schwab. I said, like, there's another Klaus Schwab standing right behind him. What we have to do is get to the root of what this is really about. And so the Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening for me was... I was witnessing people waking up and starting to share puzzle pieces with each other. So I, I saw it from my mother-in-law, you know, to people starting to go, this is, this is suspect, check this out. And then you'd look at a little puzzle piece and you, if you don't know the, what, what the, you don't have the box to look at the picture, you look at it and you go, I think I can make that out. That's like grass and maybe water or leaves. Oh, wow, that's suspect. You put it aside and then you see the next one and you start to go, I think if I remember that and I start putting these together, I'm starting to get a picture of something pretty sinister. Pandemic 3 of the Great Awakening was, I said, listen, let's just bring all the puzzle pieces together so we can have them understand the history. I didn't go back into the beginning of history. If I did, I would have gone back to the cradle of civilization, literally, because that's when all of this started. But we went back to the beginning of recorded and filmed history to be able to say, this has been going on forever. We've always been under the structure of master-slave. So the master class, the slave class. And we need to wake up to understand that there have always been these people who consider themselves to be the elite, the kings, the queens, the pharaohs the princess, the, prin the prince, and they're superior. It might be their bloodline. It might be the fact that they were dubbed some title that they feel gives them superiority. They might, might have married into a superior bloodline. Whatever it might be, all the peasants are the workforce. And they need them to build the pyramids, to do all the hard labor that they don't want to do. We are now reaching a, an age of automation when those who have dubbed themselves as the elite are now recognizing that what happens when the queen bee realizes we don't need the worker bees anymore? What happens? What do we do with all the worker bees? Because now all they're doing is consuming our food, all of our precious resources. They're cluttering up the streets. They're making it hard for us to get around. They're polluting everything. And they're holding us accountable for our sins. They don't like when we choose to have 10-year-old wives or whatever it might be or traffic these children. They're investigating us. They're the ones, they're, they've now become a threat to our desired way of life. What do we do with these people? And that's when we start getting into the real darkness of, of this because there are people who want to thin the herd, to reduce the population. Klaus Schwab's main guy, his one of his science advisor, Dr. Harari, calls us useless leaders. And he, he made a joke on stage and says, what do we do with the useless leaders? Well, I guess more video games and pharmaceuticals. That was his joke. We need to take that seriously because they mean that. You know, more distractions, more harmful things they can be addicted on. 
you know, and addicted to, to destroy their lives, to, we don't want them engaged. We don't want the, the men of, the, of this world to be engaged. Keep shoving them, you know, televised sports at them. Keep them so addicted to following other things that, that have nothing to do with looking in our direction. Let me ask you something. Do you ever struggle with brain fog or sometimes find it hard to focus on a task? Do you ever have trouble recalling names, dates, or where you left things? Well, let's face it, we all get a little brain foggy or forgetful from time to time. And let me tell you, when I hit my 50s, I definitely needed to step up my nootropics game to stay on point. And ever since I first tried this stuff called Collagenius a few years ago, I became obsessed. I immediately felt calm and focused, my mind was clear, and my ability to memorize and recall information went up significantly. No joke. Collagenius comes in a delicious chocolatey powder that you can simply mix with water, smoothie, coffee, just about anything. When I got on Collagenius, it quickly became a non-negotiable ingredient in my morning cup. One scoop transforms my coffee or smoothie into a delicious mood-boosting mocha elixir. The stuff is wild. Every serving of Collagenius contains the equivalent of 1.2 pounds of mushrooms, including lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and chaga. Now, each of those is a powerhouse in its own right, but together they make a potent blend that actually helps repair your brain. It boosts something called BDNF, which supports improved learning and memory. It also contains cacao and collagen, which provide antioxidants, mood support, improved brain function, and more. To get on board with this stuff, here's what you do. Go to newtopia.com slash lukegenius and use the code luke10. And seriously, if you want to upgrade your mental capacity, Collagenius is a no-brainer. See what I did there? And you can try it risk-free with Newtopia's money-back guarantee. So seriously, what are you waiting for? That's newtopia.com slash lukegenius, N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A. And again, don't forget to use that code LUKE10 to save 10%. Um, and you mentioned earlier, you know, like, like the invention of the internet, which is for better and worse, it certainly has been incredibly destructive in many ways. But it's the thing that Mao Zedong didn't have during and Mao Zedong's people, the Chinese citizens didn't have in the 60s when during Mao's reign of terror. They didn't have the ability to go, check this out. Look, did you see this? Check this out. And to do what we're doing now, to sit freely and to share information and to educate each other. They didn't have that. So they're trying to do something that has worked traditionally and they're so out of touch that they don't understand you're forcing us now to do the one thing that is the end game for you guys, which is we're connecting, we're uniting and we're sharing information and we're getting smarter and we're on to you. And the people that you would never have imagined would be investigators into this 80-year-old grandmas are watching. And young ass. people. Yeah, and you know, young that, people. That's the thing I find so interesting and inspiring right now. And it, it's, it seems to be on TikTok. My wife sends me these TikToks all the time because she knows I'm into this stuff. I don't, I don't think she is as much as I, but uh, you know, she finds some, oh, Luke would love this. And it's like some 19-year-old girl breaking down the Federal Reserve or something. You know? Right. I'm like, when has that ever happened? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. When did this happen? It's it's great that it's happening, you yeah. know. So it, it it is kind of the 
truth, as much as it's oppressed, it still seems to be spreading. And there's, I don't know, maybe there's just something inherent about human nature that we just, certain ones of us gravitate toward truth. And maybe the the people that are in the way of our evolution are people that perhaps value safety and comfort more than they value truth. Mm. And I've looked at that in kind of in the left-right paradigm, just to put it broadly, right? Mm-hmm. You have people running around in masks and obeying Dr. Fauci and, you know, that, that, that whole sect of people. And it's, I look at the value system and it's like, even if you put information in front of someone who's brainwashed that is logical and truthful, the cognitive dissonance prevents them from seeing it. And I've always wondered why, why that is. And, and maybe you have a take on this. I do. It seems to be maybe that their inherent value, and it helps me be more compassionate toward the yeah, sheep. Me too. too. Because my value is fucking truth, period. Oh, you did it again. Period. You said that. Sorry, kids. <laughs> Sorry, kiddos. That's just it. And because I've had to work through that in my own life. Yeah. I've had to dig through, you know, trauma and addiction and all of these, you know, just horrific epochs of my experience in order to arrive at the most authentic version of myself mm-hmm. that I am now. Mm-hmm. And I, there's so much value in that because I've earned it, right? So what I value is truth, even if it hurts, mm-hmm. even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. That doesn't make me better or superior to the person who values safety and comfort and bootlicking the government. Right. Even if they know the government is probably going to hurt them, <laughs> right. they still would prefer the illusion of comfort just because their value system places safety over truth right and freedom so it's it maybe that's the divide i've been saying for 15 maybe years. that's the fundamental divide what do you think C- comfort and convenience is killing us okay but yeah I, I i had to get to the bottom of the point that you just brought up and that is beyond the pandemic series there's a lot of other work that we do we do high profile criminal cases so we did the covington students we did kyle rittenhouse these kind of cases that the outcome uh, affects the forward mobility of our country. Those are the ones I get involved in because I realize Kyle Rittenhouse, total self-defense situation, but they're using him to eliminate the Second Amendment. And we're now waking up. I was anti-gun just a few years ago. and Everyone's anti-gun up. until someone breaks into their house, exactly. by the way. <laughs> exactly. And now I own several guns. And so we didn't understand what that amendment was actually placed for. Now people are going, oh, tyrannical government. Didn't think that was even possible in the United States. And now we're feeling the, the wrath of our tyrannical government. Now I see what our founding fathers were providing for our protection. I understand that now. But this is, I would show people, we, we did the film that, that really helped to get Kyle Rittenhouse acquitted. And I would show that to people. I thought that that would leave them feeling relieved. Like, it's so good to know that this kid wasn't, didn't show up at a Black Lives Matter rally to shoot black people. I'm so glad to know that that narrative was false. And this, thank you for showing me this evidence because we pieced together every, we had drone footage and every surveillance camera from the neighborhood. And we pieced together to show his every step. And you can't deny it after you saw it that, that you know, somebody grabbed the barrel of his gun was, and they were saying, we're going to kill him. And then he shot and killed somebody. And it wasn't even a black person. Most people thought he killed black people. He didn't. He got lucky and got a pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> he said it on me. So I would show people this video. 
and they would get mad at me. I said, what? Well, it's here. It's the, why are you mad at me? I thought you'd be relieved. And they'd say, yeah, why are you going to the dark side? You right winger. You're, and I said, no, no, that's, <laughs> I was far lefty my whole life. I'm not there anymore. You were a Bernie bro. I was a Bernie bro. Yeah. That's what woke me up. I was on the road with Bernie and we can get in that later too. But I, I was amazed and I thought, what is going on here? They're, they're mad at evidence. And I had to dig deeper. And during the process of the Great Awakening, it really landed for me. I realized I went, okay, Carl Jung has always said there's a crisis of meaning on, on this planet. And so they have set up an environment where very few people are doing what you're doing. You, you have a meaningful life. You're doing something that matters here. But the majority of the people are, the, are living out their worker bee slavery, right? That, that's how they feel. They're like, I'm going every day to a gas station to push buttons and to take somebody's money. And this wasn't my dream as a kid. I wasn't eight years old thinking someday I want to work at a gas station. Now there's nothing against that job. I'm not trying to discredit that job, but, I'm, but I've talked with a lot of people that will, will say that's, I had dreams. I had, a, I, had a, I had a purpose when I was young and I didn't, it wasn't this. And so when you get this this feeling of a, a culture of people that are just maintenance workers. I'm just trying to maintain the roof over my head. I'm trying to maintain my car, my phone bill, and just put some food on the table. I'm just a maintenance worker at this point. And I know I'm not serving my highest purpose. I know I'm not doing anything that my degree that I went to four years of college, I thought would permit me to do in this life. It kind of sucks. So many people are feeling that. And then you come along these people know just how to do that. They set up this environment, a culture of meaninglessness. And then they come along and they say, these people are the evil ones. They're the bad ones. And if you want to be the good one, then put on the mask, obey what we're saying. And now you get to be the righteous ones doing what's right, saving grandma's life, following the science. You're the smart ones. You're the good ones. And now I get to, for really no investment, 25 cent mask. I don't have to do, I don't have to pass any test. I don't have to go through boot camp or do a workshop. I can suddenly go, and then I can look at you from across. The hey, we're on the same tribe. We're in the same tribe. Good, good for you, man. I'm one of you now. Now I suddenly have purpose. To fill the gap of, of the life I'm of me. I'm connected to a meaningful tribe that's saving lives. So again, they're prying on that, prying on that human quality that we want to do something good in this lifetime. And then a guy like me comes along, a guy like you comes along and says, here's the truth. And what it really means to that people is you are threatening my newly found connection that I have longed for for the past 10, 20, 30, 40 years. If I believe what you just showed me, I've lost my tribe because I'm bonded by agreement. And if I believe that, I'm out of the tribe and I know that's how it works. So get out of my face with that truth, please. Because I'd rather just be connected to a meaningful tribe. And that's why so many people don't want to hear it. Wow. Yeah, I, th I think that just the phenomenon of that aspect of our culture is so interesting to me. <laughs> because it's hard, to, it's hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes, right? Because I've managed to eke out what is a meaningful life to me, right? I know my purpose in life. I'm doing it every day. So it's hard for me to put myself in the shoes of someone who just wants to be accepted and, you know, virtue signal their way into feeling righteous. 
or feeling important. It's hard for me to imagine that because that's not the way I derive value from my life, right? I really don't care if I'm the weirdo. I've been the weirdo my whole life. Why change now, you know? So it's it's just, it's interesting to me and I've examined that, but I haven't looked at it from that angle. You know, the furthest I've arrived is what I described earlier of just like, what are your core values? Truth or comfort? Yeah, you know? right. But there is, there, I guess there's an inherent comfort in Oh, I, you know, I put on my mask, I'm fitting in, I'm following the dictates of, you know, the news right. show I watched last night and what my neighbors are doing. And I don't want to be the outcast. There's also that piece too, right? There is. You know, of the social acceptance and not wanting to be rejected. I mean, it's our, maybe our most Huge. fundamental is the social instinct, right? But that's why, if I could interject, that's yeah. why this event that you and I are at this weekend is so important. And these are happening all over the nation and all over the world. It's so important because the people that have adapted to the connection of that false tribe, that, that false community, the community that's bonded only by agreement, and they feel the fragility of it. They know. They know that if they come out to say one thing that is outside of that collective agreement, that they're going to be ridiculed and canceled online. They know that. And so they, they feel the, the insecurity of their tribe. And then when they see events like we're at right now, and they start to, to see, that's why we did our premiere so big, right? Because we want people to go like 2,500 people in one theater celebrating, laughing, dancing, all sharing truth. It was so fun. It was amazing, right? Yeah, it was but, fun. but then they actually can see like, okay, I can actually be myself. I can be honest. I can be authentic. I can choose this tribe where I can't be any of that, or I could kind of come over there to this tribe where I can be all of that and be myself and feel like I'm loved and appreciated for myself, even if I disagree with all 2,500 people in this room. Our Absolutely. crowd would go, awesome, cool. That's, that's a great distinction. Yeah, because if I, if I take those 2,500 people in that theater and interview every one of them about you know my top 10 core beliefs about the world, we would probably disagree on many things, but we fundamentally agree on the value of humanity and the value of love, the value of truth, the value of freedom, like they're fundamental values upon which we agree. And the rest of it's just kind of like, oh, you like Trump, I don't, you know, whatever. Whatever. It's like, who cares? Right. Your sexual preference, your race. It's like, what? It's so superficial and so insignificant when you have that unifying core value or that set yeah, of values. Yeah, well right? said. There are so many other... Um, details that are just kind of less important yeah. and but you still get that sense of community right? right you still know well we're all on the same team here we're pro-humanity right however that looks in its detail i gotta ask i fail to see the appeal in in 99.999 percent of politicians mm -hmm. I don't know very much about bernie sanders yeah. you know i'd see him on the internet here and there and they're pro bernie people and and not he, to me, is one of the most uncharismatic people I think I've ever seen in my life. And I was always so fascinated that how he amassed followers. Because of that. I mean, you have a, a Donald Trump, right? Which is like, people are going to love him or people are going to yeah. really, really hate him because yeah. of his ego and just, you know, his personality. But when I, I think I saw Bernie on um, Joe Rogan or something, I was like, God, this yeah. guy is just such a grouchy, <laughs> yeah. just toxic, negative, you know? I go, what is the appeal? I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of just that. And it's, it's the, when you look at Trump and you look at Bernie and, you, and people 
are tired of the charismatic liars. They're just, they're tired. We just came out of Obama. That was the first president I voted for. I teared up when he was inaugurated. And four years later, I was going, where's the hope and change, dude? How many wars have you started? Like, I thought you were the peace guy. I thought you were the family, loving America, bringing morals back. And all I know is racism is ramping up. All this stuff is coming during your presidency. So I think you're responsible for some of it. You know, what happened to that beautiful man that I thought I was voting for? What happened there? And so I think coming off of Obama, then we see this gruff little messy haired character talking about the establishment and negative about Hillary Clinton and all the establishment. We're like, that's how I feel right now. I'm, I'm tired of being bamboozled by these slick suit wearing you know, Got it. Okay. Okay. And same with Donald Trump. He comes with a whole other realm of like <laughs> bombastic statements and crude and, and yeah. people are going, I, I don't know. I might, is it, you know, that's kind of disgusting what he just said, but I'd almost rather have somebody who's bold enough to be that damn honest on camera than have them say all the right things like Obama did and do all the wrong things off camera. And so that was one of the attractive points of Bernie Sanders. And then it was his rhetoric. Quite frankly, I was raised by a single mom on welfare. And hearing him talk about an experience that I lived as a child, helping, we got to help the women and the people at the bottom. It's these rich people at the top that have no concern and compassion for the experience of the people that have been, you know, my mom, her husband was killed and, and left her alone with four children. And so it's like, where was the help other than welfare? And the welfare destroyed my mother's dreams. That taught me so much about government programs and why I woke up from being a democratic socialist with Bernie on the road to suddenly putting it together. I didn't put it together until I was on the road with Bernie and I started to realize, oh, wait a minute here. These programs feel benevolent. And when people really need a hand up, you know, not a hand out, but a hand up. It's like we fall in hard times Someone gets sick, their insurance doesn't take care of them. Let's help that person, regardless of the race, class, any of it. Let's help our fellow humans. But what happened to my mom was the system is designed in such a way, which is why we have a fatherless issue in our world massively, and it's destroying the next generations because mother and father are very, very important to have that. It's like the moon and the sun. It provides different energies for nature at different times that are totally necessary for nature to flourish. And children need that same way. And I'm, I was raised without a father. And I watched what happened to my mother. She got on the welfare program and they incentivized her to keep a man out of the house. My mom had, a, she's a beautiful woman, heavy set, but beautiful and just glowing, beautiful spirit. And men would fall in love with her and everyone would be like, Jackie, he loves you. Like he's proposed to you. Why'd you say no? She was so afraid. She was so traumatized by what happened to the love of her life that she was so afraid that if this one comes in, I'm going to lose my welfare assistance. And if he goes away, if he dies, like my first one did, or if he just leaves me like a lot of men do, I don't know how long it'll take me to get back on the program. And what am I going to do for that six months? My children are going to starve. So this constant fear. So the government had her in a stranglehold. My mom used to talk to me all the time as a little boy. We'd watch TV and she'd say, someday I want to go to France. Oh, someday I'd love to go to Italy. And one day, but buddy, well, I'm going to take you there. She never left the United States in her whole life. 
And it was because of these government programs that are, that are set up to keep people in that state of poverty and dependency. That's really what's happening. That's why there's so many of these things that seem people who don't know what's going on. It seems illogical. Like, why would they create a law? Why would they want to defund the police? You know, I know we have some bad cops. We need to take care of the, the brutality and issues that we have. But defund all police in a given city? That doesn't make sense. Why would we do that? Why would San Francisco make the moves San Francisco is making to decriminalize any theft under $1,000? Go down to Market Street and see the boarded up stores. And, and it used to be this, just the most beautiful city in, in the United States. And it is a homeless, drug addict utopia right now. And one of the reasons, and why, why are the major hotels leaving? All the major stores, Neiman Marcus, and all these iconic stores that used to be synonymous with the beauty of San Francisco, they're gone. Why? Because they, they incentivized criminals to go in daily multiple times and they can take under, I think it's $980 and they just have to let them go. They won't prosecute them. And so they know, they, they kind of add it up and they go, I'm going to come here and take this today. And there's video of managers of you know, Walgreens just watching people walk in on a bring a bicycle in a big garbage bag and they just take everything off the shelf and they drive out and you know news reporters are like this just happened right in front of you why don't you do something he's like because we can't we can't even call the authorities because they won't come if we tell them what it is and so all these smash and grab robberies robberies have driven so then you go why would pelosi and newsom and why would these people create a law that would make it impossible for these businesses to survive. And they, they see what's happening. They saw it within the first six months because they want them to close. That's the whole goal. They want to cripple the city, its finances, its, its thriving economy. And then they sell the people who come in to buy these defunct buildings are the Black Rocks and the State Streets and all these major asset management firms that come in and they gobble it all up for pennies on the dollar. You will own nothing. That's You won't be happy, but you will own nothing. <laughs> and that is why I focused on communism. Some people are like, oh, communism. No, because that really is the definition of communism. It's when the state owns everything. And so the state, what is it, what's the first thing that the mayor of Maui said? Like day two of the fires. I'm already talking to the state about how to, for the state to purchase Lahaina property. And so they want the governments, and then it's consolidation of all the property being owned by first the local governments, and then that local government becomes one world government, where they now have total control over all power, all resources, all cities, all counties. That's what they want. We're just coming out of a gnarly hot and long drought here in Austin, which has made me even more conscious of the importance of water to all aspects of our lives. Did you know that cotton, and even organic cotton, is one of the most water-intensive crops to grow? What if you could do your part to support sustainable agriculture while providing you and your family with the most comfortable, luxurious fabrics money can buy? Well, I have seen the future, folks, and it is bamboo. Cozy Earth is recognized as the world's leader in premium viscose from bamboo textiles. Their fabrics are remarkably softer, long-lasting, and better at regulating temperature than any other bedding I've tried. 
Plus, Cozy Earth uses a patented fiber process that recycles the water and doesn't release waste into the environment. So this is a win-win for you, your family, and the planet. And right now, Lifestylist listeners, that's you, can stock up with a massive discount. Just hit up CozyEarth.com, and when your card is full of goodies, punch in the code LUKE to save up to 35% off your order. And if you prefer a blend, Cozy Earth's linen collection adds a breezy, classic charm to your space. They even have silk and cashmere options as well. And best of all, all their products come with a 100-day money-back guarantee. So that's how you make every night a five-star experience and sleep with the peace of mind that you're making a difference to conserve that most precious resource, water. Again, that's CozyEarth.com, and the code is Luke. I, I just... I can't believe that it's actually happening. You know, going back again to my early conspiracy awakening days, you know, watching, I think it was the Alex Jones film, Endgame. And I used to watch that, that stuff kind of just, it was like entertainment, you know, it was, it was like watching science fiction or, you know, a not so bloody horror movie and be like, oh, this shit's crazy. There's something about it that's just interesting, right? It's this dystopian sort of outcomes that you think, well, I mean, some of the stuff they're saying is true because you can see it right now in real time, right? You see that 9-11 wasn't what we were told it was. But come on, one world government, how could they all become organized? You know, you yeah. start to play out, you're like, that's impossible. <laughs> no one would ever allow that to happen. They wouldn't have the wherewithal to put that together. And, you know, thinking back, it's like, oh shit, some of these nuts were right. You know, it's like, maybe they weren't right about everything, but they were right about some of the most important things. Yeah. Like you just described, right? Of the elimination of private ownership and just putting people in, um, you know, the I think the thing that didn't happen was like the FEMA camps, right? But it's like, well, we kind of even saw that during the pandemic. I mean, there yeah. were little outcroppings of quarantine centers oh, yeah. and things like that so it wasn't you know maybe widespread it, almost all the conspiracy theories are coming true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember hearing a few years ago people are like they're closing down all the walmarts and they're gonna house traffic children and immigrants in the close down walmarts and i was like you people are how do you oh they're doing that it's on video we have it you know yeah. it's like they're actually doing that right now close down walmarts housing 1500 or more illegal you know, crossers and a lot of the children being trafficked from these locations. They were right about that. I had these two young men come to me, 2011. This is how against any of this I was. 2011, they kept reaching out to me and they're like, because I, in my little local fishbowl of Los Angeles, I started to do some kind of independent media. And so I, you know, people were starting to recognize that I was starting to do some stuff that might be leaning towards this truth teller world. And I had these two young men that were kept reaching out to me. Can we have a meeting with you? And I didn't, I was like, why well, we have some information we need to share with you. It's kind of vague. I don't have time for that right now. And finally I was like, okay, come on over. We lived in Ohio, California. And these two young men came over and they sat down and they laid out this whole thing for me. They were probably 23 at the max. They're just like, they told me, you know, they were using, as soon as I used new world order, I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't make time for this, right? Okay, what's next? And they had all, all these terminologies that I was, Illuminati, oh, God. Uh, you're, okay, now I know what I'm talking to here. I'll just be polite and let them finish. And he broke it all down. And I arrogantly was like, young men, you know, you, I don't know who you've been learning this stuff from, but this is America. And um, that sounds pretty, pretty far out there, buddy. <laughs> you know, and now I'm like, shit. 12 yeah. years later, yeah. those young men were right. 
I was wrong. And so, you know, I mean, Alex Jones is a very dear friend of mine. And, you know, if you look at the back of his book, I put a little endorsement on there, his new book that just came out called The Great Awakening. And I said, you know, mainstream media is wrong 80% of the time and right 20% of the time. And no one ever holds them accountable for that. Alex Jones has been right 80% of the time and wrong 20% of the time. And he's totally persecuted. Yeah. And uh, look at the, just look at the imbalance of that. Like it, it, that tells us something. Absolutely. Uh, have you ever read this book called, I think it's called The, Great, the Greatest Superstition by Larkin no. Rose? I'm going to send you this book, dude. I have been guilty of becoming aware of some of the issues that we're uh, describing here today and thinking that a knight in shining armor politician or a new form of government that's maybe not been tried before or not been tried in its, you know, most effective organization, you know, it's going to maybe, you know, some people thought it was Donald Trump or it's, it's going to be, you know, RFK or whoever, right? And when somebody, especially now, when someone in the political sphere acknowledges some of these issues that used to be conspiracy theories, they think, oh man, they're going to come save us. And in this book, I got to interview this guy, he basically creates the case that all governments, since the inception of government, have been the largest cause of death (laughs) throughout all of history. And it, the, the essence of the book is that where we're lost is in believing in the superstition that one human being has the inherent right to rule over another human being. It's this sort of fantasy or hallucination of authority, right? That you could walk in here and tell me what to do. Who are you? Yeah. Right? Well, we put a title on you and then I go, oh, okay, he's a police officer or he's part of the military or mm-hmm. whatever, right? He's a politician, he's a senator or congressperson, right? And it, it's such an interesting book because it made me just want to disavow the entire idea of politics altogether. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like no matter what form government takes on, mm-hmm it eventually devolves into something that is harmful to the population. Right. That goes against humanity. And the interesting thing about that in this book is he talks about how even when you take a morally sound person and they adopt the belief, this hallucination of authority in themselves, and that's corroborated by the people that support them, that they will eventually become corrupt Mm -hmm. because the system in which they're enlisting is inherently corrupt and is doomed to fail, no matter if you call it democracy or communism or socialism or what you want to call it. And that we get caught up in, oh, socialism bad, communism bad, it's democracy, right? But we're already in a democracy and look where we are, right? So it's like, I don't know what the solution is. I haven't gotten that far in the book. I think it's something akin to anarchy. Or self-governance, right? And, re- and a reliance on the inherent goodwill and morality of humanity as a whole. And that we actually don't need politicians and we don't need the military and we don't need law enforcement. Not defunding the police. Defund the entire operation from top to bottom. 
I don't know what happens on the other side of that, but as I did these thought experiments, I think, okay, what if right now there was no Lakeway police, you know, the town I live in, Austin. There's no Lakeway police. I couldn't call them. You know, you think about who's going to build the roads, right? I'm thinking all this through, and I go, well, I'm being extorted for my energy, my money, and they take my money and spend it on things without my consent. I never asked for that road, actually. Maybe I want to ride a horse. Yeah. Right. Right. So say, uh, you know, I've, I'm in a situation where I'm threatened and I want to call the police. Well, if there were no police around, then I would defend myself and I would um, be relying on the goodwill of my neighbors with whom I had built relationships. And we would probably band together and keep out the bad guys out of our neighborhood on our own. Right. And, and no one would be coercing or forcing anyone else to their will because they were bestowed with some title like king, queen, policeman, politician, whatever. I haven't arrived at the ultimate solution, but do you think there's any hope for the model of government in any form? Because its track record shows, I mean, just let's put on paper, track record shows all forms of government end in some form of genocide. And I don't, and I don't know where we were before that. In hunter-gatherer days, yeah. I have a sense, and I don't know, it's not my area of expertise, but I think maybe you have a tribal elder, tribal leaders, right? Yeah. Maybe there's a council that's kind of making decisions for and on behalf of their, their mm-hmm. tribe. I think if someone got out of line, the majority of the moral people in the tribe would oust them. Mm-hmm. So would that work at scale? Let's unpack this. Yeah. I just want you to say, for, I know exactly where you're going with it. And I, I just want to say, first of all, I love, I love the way your mind works. I really appreciate the, the, the way that you form um, your curiosity into thoughts. It's, it's, we, we need more of that because the, these are the questions that are bestowed upon us, the people, to find answers to. Because you're right. No one's going to come in, no shining armor, white knight, whatever is going to come in and suddenly save the day. It will never happen and never, and never has and never will. My answer is going to be a little esoteric, but I've put a lot of thought into similar questions that you just asked. And that is what, you know, like, what is the real, the, the real solution here? What do we do? And there are definitely some government structures that I feel that we can do on a local level that we need to start applying local governance. I'm not an anti like, uh, anarchist, no government guy. I get that model. And I think it ultimately would be the best model if we weren't living in a world of very confused, mentally ill people. This is a re- reality we have to, you know, if we took all the speed limits um, off the streets, there are going to be a, a small degree portion of society that are, go- are going to abuse that freedom and they're going to end up killing one of our family members. And that irresponsibility is the problem. The fact that we've lost all sense of honor, integrity, accountability, all these really important virtues that are not incentivized anymore. We're being demoralized. And that's why we can't have no government right now. People will take advantage of that and they will come to your home and they will outgun you and they will take everything you have. That will happen immediately. But the government's doing that anyway. <laughs> the, government's doing, the government's doing it anyway. It'll just be a, a different mask it on will. the same face, it right? But I, I get where you're going. But, um, but it, 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 
you know, and we might be headed there to where the people are in the street actually in some some level of civil war, where, where they're pushing us towards that. And if we take the bait, then we're going to end up there. I hope we don't take the bait. But my esoteric answer to this is what I feel is coming, probably not within our lifetime. That's the that's a disappointing side because boy, I'd love to see this arrive and be able to witness what it what it looks like in action. And that is this. There's a divine intelligence that is broadcasting at all times. And it is that divine intelligence. You can call it God, you can call it nature, whatever you want to call it. Doesn't matter to me. But there is a an intelligence that we will never reach, that AI will never reach. Nothing will be more intelligent, more brilliant and resilient than this thing we call nature. So this divine broadcast, once we start seeing our bodies, let me me back up for a moment. So here's an analogy that will help people better retain what I'm about to share. I believe that our inventions are an outpicturing of us. We get a vision. Somebody is given a vision of of something. We call it an invention or, or an innovation. But it's actually somebody receiving information to help us understand where we're going. One example is this. Years ago, we created the first personal computer. And it didn't do much. It was limited to whatever the factory put on its hard drive. And we could maybe put it on a floppy disk and upgrade it a little bit. But that's pretty much all it could do. Then we create this thing called the World Wide Web. Now every little personal computer becomes a supercomputer with infinite access to intelligence from who knows where. I believe we are starting to reach an era where we're going to understand that was a blueprint that we created to understand where we're going with these human instruments called our bodies, that we will be going online. And I've been online. And if anyone's ever done deep (laughs) psychedelic work or whatever, you end up tapping into this broadcast and 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 everyone in the room has a very similar unifying experience and I've never heard of all my work I did it for seven and a half years. I traveled all over the world doing ayahuasca ceremonies. My wife and I did. And in all that time, no matter if we were in downtown LA on a rooftop of a, of a high rise, which where we used to do it, it was fun, uh, to the top of the Andes with a tribe who'd never had ayahuasca before, the outcome when the ceremony is over and everyone shares their experience, I'd never once heard anyone say, I just learned that I am separate from everything and that my life is meaningless. And I've never heard anyone say that, right? It's it's laughable. What you hear is, I just, I could see that I was connected to everything. Like there's everything is energy and where I'm connected with the plants and the people and like everything is divine in my life. All, even the, especially the tragedies happened for me and not to me to build the character that I am now. I've never been more ready to pursue the big game. This is what people wake up to realize once they get past that little hard drive that was programmed by grandpa, daddy, society, that limited, limited hard drive. When we have the opportunity to go online and access the broadcast of this incredibly divine intelligence, that's when the disagreements stop. Because now we actually, it's not an ideology. It's that I actually see you. And I actually know that you're part of me. I know that in the same way that I can understand 
through our technology that my cell phone can be energetically connected to your cell phone and we can have a communication. You can take a photo, send it through the air, and it can reassimilate into my phone the exact replica of what you shot from your location. It's amazing. This is an outpicturing of what these bodies are capable of, but these technologies and modalities have been kept from us. 100%. And so when we learn yeah. how to access them, yeah. to yeah. use them, then there won't be need for a government anymore because we're right. going to be rightfully operating within an environment where we're fully aware of all the other bodies around us and we're not going to do 145 miles an hour down a street knowing that there might be children playing. We're going to be aware that we are a functioning vital cell in the body of this experience we call life. And we don't want to damage it because we're here to bring it life. And that's when things are going to change. But like I said, yeah. unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen in our life. Yeah, I'm doubtful about that too. What I'm hearing there, and I share this worldview completely if this is what you're, you're seeing, how I would say it is... The purpose of our being here in this duality is to be provided with an opportunity to elevate to higher levels of consciousness, right? And as each one of us pops, we radiate the level of consciousness that we're currently experiencing. And that has a magnetic sort of pull yeah. toward others that lifts them up. Yeah. You know, the whole be the change you want to see in the world principle, right? So I think what's happening when I envision a world without these diabolical governments is I'm envisioning everyone being at the level of consciousness that me and all my homies and you and everyone here are at. Like if it was just all us, we don't need those bastards because no. we're connected, right? right? We know that we're connected. The internet of um, consciousness, you know? And so I, I think it's a little bit of a fantasy and I'm just reaching forward into the future, probably, you know, not in our lifetimes, like you said, to a point at which the overall level of consciousness on the planet is that the majority have some stable degree of moral standing. Mm -hmm. And that that moral standing would be the majority to such a degree that those that lack moral standing and are a danger to society would be taken care of if not uplifted right? right so when i said earlier you know looking back it's the internet is when everything i mean everyone knows when the internet everything changed but in terms of like the matrix kind of starting to crumble it was the internet i think that the next phase of the matrix crumbling is what you just described it's the proliferation of psychedelics in the world mm -hmm. when they're not just a thing that people took at woodstock and you know, go to freak out, which is how I got introduced to psychedelics. Well, I was too too young or for Woodstock, but used to go to dead shows and just fry on acid and have a great time. Mm -hmm. I had no idea for years that these substances had the potential to do what you described, right? Mm -hmm. To give me the gnosis that I am you and you are me, not as you said, an ideology or something I read in a spiritual book or at a new age conference. Like I know that mm -hmm. to be true. It's in my DNA. It's in our DNA. Now, for me, that just happened to take, I mean, it took maybe 22 years of meditation and then getting into psychedelics, right? So when I landed in a journey, I was like, oh, this is that thing I've been meditating on or the books I've been reading about, non-duality and mm -hmm. consciousness and yada, yada. Oh, this is the fucking thing. I'm in it. Now, the key is, how do I leave the maloka and stay in it? 
even though that substance is no longer in my bloodstream, you know, and that's the, the integration, right? But I, I am very hopeful. I mean, there's a lot of uh, landmines in the, what's happening with the psychedelic world at the moment. And, you know, I'm sure many people are aware of that. It doesn't come without risks. And when you enter into the commodification and all of that, I mean, it's very complex and I wouldn't begin to understand it, but I just know subjectively and so many people in my inner circle mm-hmm. have had tremendous awakenings mm-hmm. and come out the other side and have healed their traumas and no longer traumatize other people and were formerly immoral and lacked virtue and character mm-hmm. and have somehow gained it. And, you know, all of that. So maybe the world I'm envisioning where the government is nullified because it's unnecessary and ineffective is going to take a huge leap in consciousness and and maybe psychedelics and and who knows what else are going to play a part in that, right? Mm -hmm. And I I know that it's possible because it happened for me in my own life subjectively and I'm not special. You know, I was once amoral and corrupt and harmed other people indiscriminately. I was self-centered and selfish and violent at times. And I never was. All sorts of shit. I was a rotten person. I was, <laughs> a, a I say I'm a rotten person. I, I was a sick person. I was a wounded oh, yeah. kid. I was oh, a yeah. wounded kid yeah. that went out of the world Me too. with no capacity to hold that. Yeah. And so it was survival, you know, totally. and I lived like an animal and much of the population lives like animals because they've got that trauma that's sitting there festering. And, and when those people, like you said, are the ones driving 145, running over your kids, well, who's going to stop them? Who's right? stop them? There has to be enough people that are awake to outnumber them to stop them. Holy smokes, fam. I'm turning 53 years old this year, and I'm here to tell you there are benefits to being older. I'm wiser and much more stable than I was when I was younger. I'm still learning and growing, of course, but I generally make far fewer bad decisions and I'm happier overall than ever before. But I'll be honest, the process of aging itself, I'm just going to say it, it sucks. Your joints start creaking, your energy crashes earlier in the day, and your body gets less flexible. But perhaps the worst part is the feeling of just not being in your prime anymore. But don't lose heart, I'm always looking for solutions, and I found a powerful and novel remedy I'm going to tell you about right now. One of the culprits behind that middle-aged feeling is the accumulation of what are called senescent cells in the body. And senolytics are on the leading edge of anti-aging research. They're designed to help the body decrease the burden of these cells. And that helps make room in the tissues for more youthful cells and promotes whole body rejuvenation. My go-to is the Qualia Synolytic because their formula collectively covers a broader range of mechanisms than any other Synolytic supplement on the market. Any one of its ingredients is an all-star. But this bad boy brings nine of them together to extend your prime so that by the time you reach wise elder status like me, you still feel virile and full of life. Go to neurohacker.com stylist to try it out with a 100-day money-back guarantee. And when you use the code STYLIST at checkout, you'll also get 15% off. The Neurohacker Synolytics program is a simple two-day rejuvenation regimen you take monthly. You can think of it as a preventative cleanse for aging. So again, hit up neurohacker.com stylist. That's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com stylist. And again, that code is STYLIST to save 15%. I have a theory okay. that um, I've been holding on to for many years and really exploring it, but this is where I get into the 
theory part of things. I found it interesting when I first learned that, you know, biblically, the name of God is I am that I am. What? I remember when I first heard that, like, what is that? I am that I am? How is that a name? And um, I did a movie many years ago. It's called The Moses Code. It's not a great movie. I told my 9-11 story. I don't know if you know my 9-11 story. No. But, oh, it's a story. All right, come back so to it. It was the first time that I shared my 9-11 experience in a movie. Um, but it was an interesting, I learned from the production of this movie, it was about I am that I am. And it was called The Moses Code. It's kind of silly, but it's not. It's also very profound. And it was suggesting that there was supposed to be a comma in that sentence. I am that. I am. Oh, oh there you go. Wait a second now. Yeah. So if that is our original way of being, of knowing that I am that, I am. Being I am that everything that I yes. see. Yeah, yeah. Then is it possible that to play this game of individuality, that there's a code within our minds that has us constantly looking for where I am not that. Because it's really easy for us to find disagreement with each other, but it's hard sometimes for people to find out what they love about life in each people. They can complain all day long. And so the mind is, appears to be very busy at finding our differences where we can constantly go, I would never say that, I would never do that, I'm not him, I'm not that, I'm not those people. So we could play this game of individuality so we could be these cells in one organism of life, but then have this experience as, as an individual. Is it possible that somehow we, we decided long ago to create this code of amnesia that has us forget that I am that, I am? Because we have to ask, what is the function of psychedelics that actually bring people into this instant awareness within three hours or so? What, what? They don't have it their whole life. They might be 60 years old, never had that experience. And they drink a little tea. And next thing you know, they're like having a profound religious experience of understanding that they're connected to all that is. What allows for that to take place? It appears to be that that code, that thinking busy momentum of the mind stops for a moment, which is why you mentioned meditation, which is also the value in meditation. Because if you can learn to just be without all of the agendas and thoughts and analyzing things, and that's when something else comes through, this guidance, this like clarity, right? You, you've had that many times in meditation where you suddenly come out and I didn't even ask this question, but suddenly I understand what the next move in my life is right now. And so is it possible that the psychedelics, you know, from nature, you know, take ayahuasca, and mo most of them, some, there are some synthetic psychedelics that are effective, but most of them are made by this divine intelligence. And you, some, somehow they learn, you mix them together and it creates this experience. <laughs> you know, the one that gets me, hold that thought, yeah. sorry to interrupt, is the Bufo, the 5-MeO-DMT, that one. I mean, not only the, was the, first one not only the experience of it, but just yeah. the cosmic joke of the creator, whatever it is, going, I'm going to put the key to the entire universe in this one reptile that exists yes. in this small stretch of land between what we now call the Southwest United States and Northern Mexico, right in this one desert, just in this one place, just this one toad, the substance that allows you to experience the totality of everything that ever was and ever will be for about five minutes. That's crazy. <laughs> just like... It's crazy. If you look at, if you take that even further and you, you look back at the fact that 
all the medicine and food we'll ever need grows from the ground. And if there isn't a case for the creator, for a, a benevolent force, call it Jesus, call it God, I like to leave it open for people to find their own interpretation. I pray to Jesus. I've learned that just, in, just since the release of Pandemic One. I found myself more and more and more aware. I had a profound Christ experience in 2008. Spontaneous, came out of nowhere. Maybe on the next podcast, I'll tell you the whole experience because it's wild. But it actually opened me up to something that I was very judgmental of my entire life, which is there is an intelligence that we have named Jesus that is available. And this entity actually ended up speaking to me and, 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 and coming into my experience randomly when I was at a Mexican restaurant. I had to go home and have this whole out-of-body experience. It was wild. I don't want to get into this long story. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a little bit of a tease. But it, it opened me up to go, is, am I, you know, like, uh, I had an aunt and uncle that became born again Christians, when I, and when I was little, the whole family disowned them because they were trying to convert everyone. So I was like, just stay away from that Christian stuff. But being on the front line of this battle and traveling all over the world, literally, and recognizing certain archetypes of people and trying to figure out what is it about this, this particular person Nine times out of 10, when I'm really impressed by the character of someone, they turn out to be a, a Christian follower. And I'm like, there's something here that I have, I have missed out on my whole life that yeah. I'm now open and embracing in a new way, but in my way, not in a way that, oh, man. Not in a way yeah. that um, leaves me in this dogmatic fear that I've seen, that the, the, the extreme side of it. I just actually... He quit. I, I was ready to let him go. He quit. Someone who was working on our production team only because his beliefs were so dogmatic, so narrow that it was affecting the editing of our work. Because if somebody mentioned meditation, he's like, no, that's the devil's tool. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> come on. You're like, come on. Like, you're, you live in so much fear, man. And so there's that side of it that goes too far. Yeah. But anyway, staying on the point. Yeah. Opening up to really embrace that there's this divine broadcast that's happening out there and somehow this the psychedelic work sets the mind aside or slows it down or puts it on pause for just long enough for this experience to happen where it, oh it just where i don't know where it's coming from but it's just flooding through me with truth and it doesn't resonate in the mind as like true false it doesn't resonate it as you know the entire body lights up with remembering you're not learning the truth and I learned this because I spent a lot of time with indigenous cultures all over the world. And three different times, I'm in sweat lodges or wherever I am. And I, I made the mistake. They, they would say, because I'm coming in as a filmmaker. And there's a lot of indigenous people have been, have been used and abused by Western filmmakers. And so there's always this suspicion of, you need to come sweat lodge, you need to smoke a pipe with us, whatever it is. And we need to fill your spirit before we're going to allow you into our community. And so I'd always have to go through this initiation. and. I made the mistake about three times. And they say, why are you here? I'm, I'm just here to learn. There's nothing for you to learn. So, what do you mean? What you really want to do is remember. You're born with all the knowledge you need. You people in the West, your minds are just so filled with data yeah. that you need to unlearn all of that and remember the simple, basic foundation of who and what you are. And all of the other little things, how to drive a car, those are the things you learn. But, but you came here to remember, and we're going to remind you through our work. Are you up for that? And I'm like, yeah. So it's become this thing for me to, anytime I think I'm learning something, 
I realized there's a difference of appeasing the mind because the mind just wants more data and it wants more activity. And there's that moment that we've had through near death, psychedelics, meditation, whatever it is, where the whole body lights up because it, it knows this is natural. This is not just more information. This is your natural way of being, of thinking, of seeing, of breathing, of living. And this is what you must return to because you've been led astray in such a way that you don't even know the difference between what's normal and what's natural. And I think most of our world is one of the major wounds is we've caused our habitual patterns natural when they're just normal. And so I have two young boys and I'm watching my friends with young boys go, oh, they're reaching that teenage stage. And it's just natural. They just get rebellious. My kids aren't rebellious at all. When I say I need to, I've I noticed need... that being around you, you three, even yeah. today when we're in the pond, you yeah. know, your son was throwing mud or something. Yeah. You, I mean, I was, I was scared. I was like, damn. I mean, you know, you're firm, not yeah. mean or anything. Right. And man, he didn't, he didn't hesitate. He stopped throwing the mud. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm like, yeah. You said something like, I already told you twice. Don't do it again. We're done. Yeah. You know, and he was like, oh, gotcha. And yeah. he just went on playing. You know, that's no thing. residue. They never get upset. No. They never hold. It I was kind of watching no him. I was like, "Oh, is oh, he yeah. going to feel embarrassed? Because there was a bunch no. of people watching. Is he going to feel shame yeah. or you know, uncool in front of his little buddies?" And he was just like, "La la." He just wandered off and just yeah. kept playing. Yeah, and that's no my problem. youngest. He's nine years old, and both of my boys are that way. It's wonderful. It's cool to because see. we've established a relationship where they know that I'm not the authority figure. I want the best for them. And anytime I give them information, it's, it's simply because I know what their highest value is and I'm going to help guide them on the, the path of least resistance with the understanding that if they need to stray from my, the path I'm directing them on to go learn something the hard way, that's their life path. And yeah. I'm going to be there. That's, right? how, that's how God okay. does with us, right? Totally. With free will. Totally. It's like, I got you, but go ahead, wander totally. off <laughs> if you need to. And I'll tell you, my, almost everything I learned in my life was the hard way. Born with a you know wonderful mother, and I and I will say if anyone's watched Pandemic Three, you understand what happened to my mother. My my brother was killed by AZT. He had AIDS. My older brother is fourteen years older, killed by a medicine that was prescribed by Anthony Fauci, and it killed countless people during the AIDS epidemic. And then my mom was a cancer survivor, and she succumbed to her cancer. She would have lived with it forever. She'd already lived with it for fifteen years at that point, but the guilt. And the burden of knowing that she was one of the ones who didn't listen to the warnings and kept my brother on this medicine. She was told it's going to kill him. But she was torn between, do I listen to science and America's top doctor? Or do I listen to my brother's community of friends that are telling me this guy is wicked? Same thing we're going through today. 100%. Oh, my God. Can Which you... is why I was so quick to release Pandemic yeah. One. People are like... How did you release this May 4th of 2020? How did you know what was coming? I'm like, because <laughs> I know Anthony Fauci killed my brother. Yeah, you had that historical yeah. reference there. And there's so many good things. And there are two things I wanted to mention. One was I always tripped on that I am that I am. Mm -hmm. Just what? And I'm, I mean, I've not studied Christianity really at all, but I'm aware of the phrase, you know, and yeah. it's like, oh, that's, there's something to that, right? There's a power in that statement but what what is it and when you put the comma in there i was like oh duh. Boing. but it brought me back to um long before i was awake at all i was still in the throes of addiction living in a bachelor apartment in hollywood behind the chinese theater 
doing all kinds of really bad drugs. And um, a cousin of mine had been going to India and had a guru there. And he came back with this book. And he said, man, this book will change your life. It's this big, thick book called I Am That by Nisargadatta Maharaj. And I talk about it all the time on the show um, because it took me about, I don't know, 20 years to be able to actually make any sense of it. But there was something in that title and even just reading the back of the book that were enough, like a mustard seed that, oh, like I'm not just me over here as an isolated, subjective observer of the world. I actually am the world. Mm. You know, I yeah. am, I am that. So that was, I just wanted to share that with you. I mean, yeah. that's like, if, if anyone needs one teaching, that's... if you could really explore that, I am that, meaning anything you see, touch, feel, taste, hear, you are that, that's a game changer. And then the other one was on the, um, on the Jesus tip. I, I was never raised with any kind of religion or Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I would say if anything I had an aversion to it, just because yeah. I was, you know, a rebel and all that. And um, over the years, read, maybe not the Bible, but one of, a book that really helped me was uh, Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox, which mm-hmm. is kind of a 1930s um, new thought movement, sort of a breakdown, getting all of the dogma and uh, metaphor out of the teachings of Jesus, saying, well, this is what he really taught, and it really made sense to me, helped me with my sobriety. But uh, beyond that, never really interested me. But one time in a particularly uh, heavy-duty 5-MEO uh, journey, I did a number of doses in one day, which I wouldn't recommend, but it's just the way, just the way it went down. You don't even need more than one in one lifetime, probably. <laughs> but anyway, it's the way it went down. And, um, and uh, someone I loved deeply was with me there. He might want to remain anonymous, but really close person. And, um, and we were having this, his back was to me and it was his turn, but I had taken some too because I kept doing that. A fucking idiot. <laughs> Each time I'd take a hit, I was like, oh, I didn't mean to do this. And there I was in the thing again. And I kept doing it. I think I did it like four times. Anyway, he's on the floor doing his thing. And I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast. I'll try to make it brief. I mean, it, it, it's like a story didn't even like telling because it's it, there's words can't even describe yeah. like how profound it was. So it's even dumb to try to describe. But I'll just say that it was by far. I mean, not even close to anything I've ever experienced. The most supernatural few minutes of my life. I mean, it was absolutely out of this world. It was insane what was happening. There was the telekinesis going on. I mean, just crazy shit that was confirmed later when the medicine had subsided. But anyway, at one point, I'm, I'm praying for this person and like this kind of what we'd call maybe kundalini energy is going up my spine. And I, and I just was guided to put my hands out. And I'm like in a full bufo hit, you know? And I got my hands out and they're just like shaking. Like I felt like lightning could have come out of my hands. And I was, I was healing this person. I, I knew, like you said, it wasn't a, a thought. It was a knowing. I'm not, I'm healing them, but love is moving through my body as an instrument and it is healing that person, period. Yeah. That might sound crazy to someone listening. It's just what was happening. And in the middle of that, I'm, you know, I started to kind of reemerge and my persona started to kind of come back, you know, because in, in that 5-MEO place you initially go, kind of you dissolve, right? There's no you there to even experience it. So as the witness observer started to come back in and I, you know, made a decision to put my hands up and do the thing I was doing, I asked the question, what is this? what the fuck is going on? And not a voice, but a knowing went, 
This is Christ consciousness. This is Christ. It's like, Christ, yeah. what? Yeah. I'm not even a Christian, yeah. you know? And from that moment on, I didn't become like a Christian in the yeah. traditional sense, but I was like, oh, there's something here. There's something to this. <laughs> yeah, right. There's something to this. Yeah. I'm not going to make fun of it, you know, anymore. Right. The little church in the corner, whatever. However, people yeah. are getting into it. Hey, I'm, with, yep. Respect. And anyway, there's there's much more to the story, that. but um, yeah, I it totally was, get it. It was just, it, and it wasn't a you know an entity coming to me or a guy with a beard or anything like that. No. It's just something told me you want to know what this is. Uh-huh. <laughs> Watch right. this, right? And and that person's life changed. And I'm not saying it's because of me, but because of the magic of the whole experience, that person's life changed dramatically and positively from that moment. Moving on, got married, has a baby, yeah, is a changed man from you know. A, 45 minutes on a mat. So yeah. your body was being used as an instrument. 100%. For healing. Yeah. And you know that. You know it's real. There's no one. It's just what happened. It. Okay. It's just what happened. So so let's let's talk about that for a moment because I think that's probably one of the most important conversations that we should be having right now. All right, hopefully we all know by now that sauna therapy is really good for you. The unfortunate fact is, my friends, is that we live in a toxic, stressful environment. So the scientifically proven benefits of a sauna are a no-brainer. Now, the problem is, of course, that many people don't have the space at home or cash in the bank to afford a full-size sauna. Well, our homies over at Bond Charge solved this with their brand new infrared sauna blanket. From blue light glasses to red light therapy and EMF management and circadian-friendly lighting... Bond Charge products help you naturally address the issues of our modern way of life effortlessly and with maximum impact. So the, the Bond Charge sauna blanket is badass because it's lightweight, extremely portable, quick to set up, and very compact to store away when you're done using it. And thankfully, they paid attention to the details and made this thing very low EMF, and it heats up to get you sweating much faster than a traditional box sauna. It works by raising your heart rate to that of physical exercise so you burn calories as you chill and listen to music, meditate, or even read a book. In fact, and this is crazy but true, you can burn up to 600 calories in just one session just lying there. Pretty sweet. And of course, sweating helps you eliminate heavy metals and other toxins, which are unfortunately so prevalent in today's world. But I gotta say my favorite part is that a short session in the sauna blanket releases a grip of feel-good endorphins, which leaves you feeling euphoric after your session. Combined with the cold plunge, this is my number one mood booster, hands down. All right, are you ready to get your sweat on? Here's what you do. Go to bondcharge.com and use the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15%. That's B-O-N. C-H-A-R-G-E, bondcharge.com. And again, the coupon code is lifestylist for 15%. I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of people that weren't prepared to suddenly be on the front line of a global issue. So they're suddenly doctors. I'm working with all the top doctors that, that um, spoke out against the COVID protocols. They didn't do it to be famous. They just suddenly, they made a little video and they said, wait a minute, I've been using ivermectin for 30 years. Four billion people have used it. It's super safe and effective. It's not a horse dewormer. Yeah, they use it for livestock also, but they use aspirin for livestock. 
most medicines are dual purpose for animals and for humans. Why are they doing this? Well, I've used hydroxychloroquine for, you know, it's been used for 70 years. These are on the WHO most essential medicine list. Um, Ivermectin won a Nobel Prize for its invention. It's one of the most safe and effective medicines on the planet. Why are you telling everyone in the world, you know, since Joe Rogan came out and said he used it, why are you telling everyone it's for horses only? Just from saying that, it thrust some doctors into the national spotlight, the international spotlight. And some of those doctors are friends of mine. They've been in my movies, or I've been on panels with them, or I travel with them to this day. Some of them are having difficulties. What they're having difficulty with is dealing with going from, as one said to me, I was a lab nerd my whole life. I'm 65 years old. I spent my life with my head in the books. I went to eight years of university where I never partied. I just studied. I got a big job at a hospital and then I went on to become the, you know, whatever at DNAH or whatever it is. I've been, I've been isolated into looking in microscopes my whole life. And suddenly I'm at airports and people are asking for autographs and they're having a tough time dealing with that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And some of them are, are actually getting a little loopy because they're like, one of them told me, was dealing with all this stuff. He goes, I, I, goes, I was suicidal last month because I'm being attacked by my industry. I'm, I, I've lost family, friends. I didn't expect this was going to happen. And, and, and the, all the attention, I don't, I don't want it. I'm introverted. But I also realized that I have information to share that could save lives. So I'm torn between do I save lives or crawl back into my, my hole? And so what I've been sharing with these people that are struggling with this, I say, listen, after 30-some years being in Hollywood, I've learned a lot about fame and what happens. And it also has helped me, has helped to inform me of why we have these maniacal power players in the world, the Bill Gates of the world, the Klaus Schwab's of the world, the name all the politicians who um, seem to be so power-hungry that there's zero compassion in their body, that they will kill babies to gain more control and power. What happened to these people? You can easily write them off and just say, oh, the devil got them in there, whatever. I don't, I don't go to those. Those, those are, my, are not my go-tos. I go, there's something very practical and, and, and psychological that's taking place here. And if we look into it, we might just learn something about ourselves. And what I've learned through that process is, and my metaphor that I use people as I say, I've watched people 30 plus years in Hollywood, really good people. I started my own theater. I used to teach acting and I watched these young actors step off the bus from Iowa, you know, wide eyed, bright eyed, beautiful little souls with this dream to, you know, come to, to the big city and, and suddenly land a role that does for them what their idols have done for them. Give them hope and, and, and whatever it is, that's, that's their dream within a year. They're addicted to drugs. They're different people. They're womanizing, lying, conniving. Like they just, it's like, it looks like they sold their soul. Cause it's like, what, what happened to you, man? Like, I remember who you were a year ago. And now it's just clubbing and, you know, you're killing yourself. And, and I had good friends who ended up crack addicts. And one of them now is, is probably dead. But last I saw of him, he was on Skid Row and he was a beautiful black man and probably the best actor that I ever had the privilege of directing. 
and he lost it all to drug addiction. So I started to really look and go, what's going on? What is this? What is this double-edged sword called fame that destroys people? And how do we navigate it? And this is what saved me because I also, I want to make movies and I want to get information out there. But for some reason, I... And I didn't know Pandemic One was going to become the most seen independent film in history. Is that true? It is. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, it's the most seen independent well, that film that gives in me history. a lot of hope for humanity. I'm glad me too. To that. Me too. But I had no idea. I, and, and I probably wouldn't have put myself in the film as the interviewee, as you're doing right now. I probably wouldn't have done that because it suddenly thrust me into this spotlight. where And I thought, I, don't, I, don't, I, I used to be in front of the camera. I don't want to be there anymore. I want to be behind the camera. But I suddenly realized, like, there's maybe there's a reason, a purpose that I'm supposed to be here because this obviously happened. And so here's all that to say this. When we understand that we are instruments, when you understand, you just said it wasn't me, you're 98%, 99% correct. There's a part of you that has to participate. I mean, it didn't originate in Totally. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. There's a part of you, your body, that has the dominion over choosing whether or not I'm going to allow this to flow. And you can shut it off. So that part of your decision-making to allow your body to be used as an instrument is what deserves that amount of credit. Very little amount of credit, but it's still, you allowed that to take place through your instrument. The rest goes where? Where's Where's the acknowledgement go? So you were being played in that moment. And so... I always, I tell people, I say, here's the thing that you're, that you're, you have to be very careful of. Cause I know what it's like when people start to suddenly think you're somebody I'll do a, a public appearance and I'll, you know, I did one in Vegas a while ago and there's a two and a half hour line. And I'm like, why the fuck are these people here to see me? I'm like, I'm just some dude raising two kids and I have a, a wife and, and I make movies. And so I was very inquisitive. I'm like, what, why is it so important that you would stand in line to talk to me? I'm not that exciting. Like, what is it? And there was this sense, and I, oh, I, I get it. Like they, they think it's me. And so let me do my best to receive their compliments. And you want to receive it because you don't want to be so arrogant that when somebody's coming up to say to you, I want to thank you because I didn't get the vaccine. And my family did, and they're all sick right now. And I didn't get it, give it to my children. You know, because I saw your movie and that's what they want to tell me. They want to say thank you. And so let me receive that gratitude. But at the same time, I know where it belongs. And here's my metaphor for it. Imagine the radio in your car taking credit for all that music that comes through. Your little radio is the Beatles, man. It's <laughs> Elvis. It's what it, name it. Right. Imagine Dragons, whatever the band. If your little radio went, I'm brilliant. Because listen to the magic that comes through me. But it's just a receiver and a broadcaster. And so what I've been doing with these doctors that are struggling is helping them to realize, it's like, dude, you're in a very honorable place that you should only be grateful for. And stay humble. Above all, stay humble. Don't own that. When people are like, oh, you're like God, be very leery of any compliment like that. So if that sticks to you at all, it's going to change you. And that change will not be for the better. And so you have to know that even when somebody's saying, you saved my life, you're not a savior. Don't, don't kid yourself. You say, thank you. I receive that. Give that person a hug and love for, for being able to participate in something together that's, that's positive. 
but send that to where it belongs. Send that back to this benevolent divine intelligence that, that is always there to be broadcast through us. But the mind becomes a filter that stops that. The ego decides, I am this contained vessel with no opening for anything else to come through, working off of my limited hard drive. I am it. I am the radio claiming all the credit for this music that comes through it. And that's when the destruction, the self-destruction begins because we start to buy into that and the ego gets proud and it goes, yeah, I am the best and I am, you know, and it's, Dude, it's, it's, it's yeah. absolutely suicidal for us to step into that modality. We have to constantly know it's just, I'm just grateful. Thank you to my body for saying yes to allow this to happen in this moment. But I know where the compliments belong and it's far beyond this little flawed human. I love that. It reminds me of uh, something I've always been fascinated by, and that's the fallen guru syndrome. Yeah. Right when you have, I mean, I think of many of them uh, originated in India, you know, where many gurus, you know, and uh, maybe they are a great radio. Yes. Right. And they start broadcasting their music, and people start following that music, like the Pied Piper. And then somewhere along the line, they didn't get the memo that you just delivered <laughs> to us, and they start believing that they're I the radio the because there's droves of people telling them no it's coming from you and they're worshiping you because we're so susceptible to seeing the external form as the source yeah right because maybe we're not aware that there even is a source so this person is my source i'm going to give them all my money and renounce my family and move on to the commune and start you know become their concubine or whatever yes. you know what i mean oh yeah it's a really interesting kind of human study have you ever seen the documentary i think it's kumari oh my god dude the guy the fake guru yeah. That, that's so, classic. Anyone we'll watching put that, this, we'll put that in the watch show it because it really shows you how susceptible people are to BS. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it's, it's a, <laughs> I love a, that a, a fake guru who who basically started a cult following. He was just an actor, um, but it's a, a very important case study into how easily that happens for the audience and what that could possibly mean. Because I think there was a point in the movie, if I remember correctly, it's been years since I saw it, where he started to actually go, am I really causing this? Like, am I special? You know, having yeah. to grok, like, I'm sure have an effect on people. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, but it, as long as you remember, it's like, no, something's, I think this is why so many people that, I remember for years seeing people get up to accept an Academy Award or a Grammy or whatever, and they would always go, this is up, thank you, God. And I'd be like, I didn't know that person was religious. And I'd look him up, I'm like, he's actually not. And they'd say something like the real iconic works of art. Oftentimes, if you see interviews with those artists, they'll say something similar like, this thing wrote itself. Like, I don't remember even writing this song, man. And it's like, okay, then where'd it come from? Yeah. There's something so brilliant about this broadcast that is, that is out there, that if we just step out from behind our own facades, in which kind of we build as an armor to, to keep the danger out, if we step out of there just long enough, I think we start to understand these principles that it's just, it's really, it's, there's a part of you in there that's, that's doing this dance with the divine, but, you know, never take ownership for that. I love it, It'll dude. I love it. Well, I know I got to get you out of here to get on to your next uh, adventure. Tell me what you're working on next. What's what's in the can? I mean, I feel like, as I said, anyone that hasn't seen Plandemic 3, we'll put it in the show notes at lukestory.com slash Plandemic. 
definitely see that. But uh, what do you got brewing? We're, we're going to the, the next major film. I have a few films coming out. I have one called Follow the Silenced that'll be out in a couple of months. I have a film called Bad Medicine that'll be out in a couple of months. I have a film I did with Prager University called Man Up, and it's really just what it sounds like. It's about what's going on with the men in our nation and beyond. And I have my next big movie starts in January, and that's to correct the misinformation around climate change. And so Dang. we're doing that, and that's the, that's a big one. That's Dude, if, really you big do one. A, if you do a Plandemic 3 quality movie on the climate change hoax, I'm going to be such a happy man. That yeah, one bugs, that one bugs that. me. I mean, I'm bothered by who knows how many people being murdered uh, in our recent hoax. But the climate one... It bothers me because it's so cunning because, yeah. you know, I, I, I love the environment. I love the planet. I love the animals, the water, the air, the elements. Like, I'm here. I'm about it. And the fact that they're preying on that to exert more authoritarianism, you know, yeah. just like, God, now that is really evil. Yes. Right? Because who's going to argue with that? Like, what, you don't care about that planet? God, we were <laughs> blaming people for murdering granny, you know? What about yeah. the mother? Right. 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 So it's exactly. like, there, it's just rife with opportunity to manipulate people. It, and, it, uh, and control every every facet of our lives. Yeah. It's, and that's really what it's set up to do. And, and the worst thing of all is I've been environmentalist for, oh, God, I guess I'm leaning towards 30 years at this point. The worst part of it all is it's taking our eye off the ball of, the way that we truly are polluting the planet because it's become this um, invisible, elusive beast that only politicians can slay. And so, you know, no more is it, it, now we just have to vote for the person who's going to take care of it and it's going to put the right policies in. That's what they want when we really should be looking at all the ways. We have all the, the money that we just sent to the Ukraine would have funded all the technologies to clean our air, our soil, our water. Everything that's being polluted right now is the problem. There is no existential threat called climate change. Um, the data is there. And if you, if you think that the COVID stuff was fudged, wait till you see what we're going to experience <laughs> with the climate narrative. Because it's never been hotter than it was in the 30s, you know, before industrialization, all of that. There's so much oh, you just go, this, none of this makes ha- sense. Have you ever seen the documentary? Is quite, it might be 20 years ago or so. It's called The Great Global Warming Swindle. I, I, I know it. I don't know if yeah, I've it's, seen it, it's but I great. Know it. I mean, yeah. it's a little dated, but it has all these, you know, climatologists and meteorologists yeah. and all of these you know, PhD experts showing historical data. Yeah. It's just like, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. And these aren't conspiracy theorists. Like these are hardcore oh, scientists. Yeah. And I saw that and I was like, oh, I, I thought it was a thing. A big thing. Yeah. Um, when you do your film, I'm going ma- to make a request as a future audience member. Don't ignore geoengineering and wireless technology. Oh no, it's a big Please. part of it. That's the, that's, part of it. that's the rock in my shoe yep. with all environmental movements, whether legitimate or not, is the ones that ignore that. No, you can't. You it, can't. It's a, it's a huge, huge issue. And unfortunately, it has been you know, relegated to the realm of like crazy conspiracy theories for so long. Meanwhile, all you have to do is have two eyes in your head connected to your brain and look up in the sky and go, that's not what normal planes do. Well, they've, I mean, at this point, you know? they've even testified in court. It's, it's, yeah. They've had to admit That's the thing, but the cognitive so, dissonance, they've admitted it. They've admitted they just it. changed the name yeah. and called it, you know, whatever, exactly. aerosol injection or whatever they call it. But yeah. Um, it's hugely important. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that we're working on with my, my um, business partner, J.P. Sears, is this product that I'm assuming, ah, yeah, assuming yeah. you have it here so we can mention why. Yeah. 
I'm not big into sales. I'm that, I mean, if you look. Well, you give your freaking films away for free. free. <laughs> my book is free. So I, okay. I made a deal with my publisher. I was like, oh, I'm not interested in doing a book under one condition. That is, once you've made your money back, I, I, I want to give it away because I, I, I've made a commitment to not profit on the pandemic brand. We created this with the two best formulators, I, I believe, on the planet. They came from Big Pharma, the highest positions of Big Pharma. They left as soon as they realized how crooked they were. And I said, you know, we are, our, our people have been crippled. Um, their immune systems have been so harmed, particularly after the vaccine rollout. And this is the time for us to rise up and get on the front line of defending our lives and our freedoms and our future. Uh, but nobody can do that when they're not feeling well. And so I asked them, I said, can you develop an immune boosting formula? They said, no, but we can develop an immune restoring formula. I said, don't worry about boosters. <laughs> that's BS. That's marketing BS. But people need to restore their immune system. So I'm, I, I only want to talk about this because it took me a year, even though it's, I'm, I'm involved in it, it took yeah. me eight months to finally be willing to promote it because I said, I'm not going to go out and sell anything I haven't tested, anything that I haven't seen a lot of people test, and anything I'm not 100% sure in. This is a, a formula that doesn't exist anywhere else, and it is so powerful to restoring our natural immunity, which is chemtrails and all of that, you know, what's in our water, we're being poisoned. And EMF. A lot of people don't equate EMF to immune system, but I know being poisoned from all directions. it wrecks your immune system. So exactly, that's one of the best defenses against that too. So it's hugely important, and that's I think why pharma has worked so hard to harm the immune system because if we're dependent upon their medicine to survive, then they own us. And so this is truly a move to to get people to look away from big pharma and to understand that this incredible intelligence that I, I've talked about this whole podcast, if we respect it and understand that we have a system that's built in, as long as we don't F with it, as long as we don't destroy it, as long as we keep it balanced and healthy, we can adapt to just about anything that comes at us. And so we developed this and I'll say just recently did I say finally, okay, now I'll go off and I'll start promoting this because everyone around me has been taking it and there's just you know too many testimonials and, and stories to even mention, but it's been very effective with people, children, adults, everyone. But I've had a medical condition for 20 some years and I was waiting until pandemic three was out in the world. And then I was done with my press tour to actually get a major surgery. Um, I have a digestive issue and I have a, a, a inflammation issue. Pandemic was over and I was about to schedule the appointment, but I said to my wife, I was like, I kind of don't think I need it. Something's happening where like after 20 some years, I think my body's finally starting to correct itself. And she goes, dummy, that's the fierce immunity. And I'm like, oh, come on. I, 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 I cut my teeth in directing, in directing infomercials. So I become really jaded with, you know, those kind of sales pitches. And so I said, come on. And she goes, no, and she, I don't, don't even remember what the, the ingredient is. She goes, this is about inflammation. This thing helps 500 degenerative diseases in the body Hesperidin. Yes, yeah. that's it. That's yeah, the one. Hesperidin. And so, said, it's, it has a lot of hard. The other one is hard to pronounce. It's quercetin. Quercetin. Yeah, took that's me a very important one. Um, but what I learned about this and why this formula is so great is I've been buying supplements for years, and I always picked the one with the most ingredients. And the formula of this, who's an Australian genius, he said, he said that's a trick. That's a marketing trick. And what they don't tell you is most of those cancel out the other ingredients, or they're not absorbed in the body and you just pee them out immediately. So it's yeah. all a big waste of money. And so I used to take a big handful of supplements every morning. I take three of those every single day. 
and my situation, I, I, I said, well, this could be psychosomatic. I, I've done, I've filmed placebo tests, so I'm hard to, I'm hard to convince about these things. I stopped taking it and my situation came back and I started taking it. It went away. I stopped taking it. It came back. And that's when I went, damn, shit. like this thing is actually solving this thing I've had for 25 years. And I don't think I have to get the surgery now. I, I, I may, but I don't know. So getfiercenow.com. Awesome. Getfiercenow.com. Check that out and, and get that. And we have all kinds of specials. And I, I'm even going to create I'm gonna a... Pu- I'm going to put it in your camera right here. I'm, I'm even going to create a um, pay-it-forward model for those who can afford it because we want everyone to have it. And and uh, so, yeah, thanks for... Cool. Thank, thanks for bringing it to me. That's one of the coolest things about doing this podcast. I always get gifts. Awesome. And I, I mean, I'll take everything in here. Well, not Hesperidin, because yeah. if I can't pronounce it, I won't take it. <laughs> but no, seriously, but I take these independently yeah. and probably not in the right ratios. So the entourage effect, yeah. you know, the synergy, yeah. I think is really cool. And um, I have noticed uh, as I age too that. I definitely feel when my immune system starts to fade. I, get, yeah. I, don't, I don't tend to get, like I haven't had a cold or flu in a long time, but um, I will start to get sneezy and just weird and inflamed and, and stuff like that. And yeah. if I do anything in the immune realm, that's usually the thing, which is the most simple thing sometimes, but that's the thing that does it. Yeah. I have all these exotic supplements and shit, and I'll take that, and maybe something doesn't happen. It's just my body actually just needs that, that to happened, be resilient. That happened you know? to me last night. I, I actually coached both of my sons uh, play baseball, and I coached both of their teams, and and we were like inning three, and I and you know there's five coaches on the team, and I went to my wife. I go, I'm, I'm gonna go home because I knew I had this event this weekend, and I was my glands were swelling up, and I was just not, I wasn't feeling well. I said I need to go home. Went home, and I took three of these things because I go. I, cannot get sick and miss you know miss this event tomorrow and before i even went to bed like by 11 o'clock i was like it's gone and so there's something really cool happening there that i'm just really honored and and proud that we were able to create something that um i can also feel good about selling because giving my everything away for the past three and a half years my wife approached me one day she goes (laughs) sweetheart i i love that you're doing this and it's very generous but how long do you plan on doing this i go why she goes our nest egg's gone and she goes, so I just, I mean, are you like, we, how long can this go? And so that's when I started going, how could, do I create something that's a win-win that I feel good about selling, but it also offers the people something yeah. very important, which is, you know, restoring our system. Right on, dude. Well, I'm happy to support. We'll put it again in the show notes awesome. at lukestore.com slash pandemic. We'll put uh, links to Fierce Immunity in there. And I'm going to start taking it tonight. Cool. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know these people, man. I <laughs> Everyone's going to be here probably talking about um, germ theory and not, you know, terrain theory, right? So they'll be like, what? It doesn't matter if you're around a bunch of people. Well, man, it's been great to uh, finally get this done. I know we've, we've had it on the uh, books for a couple years now. And I, every time I see you, we have the greatest conversations like, oh, we should have been recording this. You know, it's just always free flowing and fun and love the work you're doing in the world. So thanks for taking the time with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. I love you and I love the work you're doing too. So it's really nice to finally sit down with you. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.